Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and today's episode is one that has been requested for years. Ever since people started discovering Wonderland Wednesday on my YouTube channel, the 1985 CBS miniseries was one that was very frequently requested, and Sarah and I always planned to get to it, but somehow we never did. Until now. And we're not alone. Nikki from Trivial Theater is joining us. Nikki and I were talking earlier this year after recording a different podcast, and she was trying to remember a version of Alice in Wonderland that she had seen from her childhood. And from how she described it, I had a feeling it was this one, so I asked if she'd be interested in joining us when we did it. And between her, my, and Sarah's completely different reactions to this miniseries, it turned out to be the perfect set of episodes for her to join us on. So this episode will cover part one of the miniseries, which is Alice in Wonderland, and next week we'll cover part two, which is Through the Looking Glass. So the main reason we chose to do this one was because you weren't sure if you'd seen it before. You said you remembered something from childhood. You remembered an Alice version from childhood, but you were never able to find it again. Was this the one you remembered? Oh, yeah. 100%. Well, and I think I, I was looking under Looking Glass as compared to Alice in Wonderland. Okay. And I didn't know if it was from the 70s or 80s. And I it was one of those things that I casually looked for. I never did like an in-depth search. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Carol Channing, like her voice in my head <laughs> and kind of that, like looking through the mirror at that setting, mm-hmm. it was automatic. It's like, oh, God, this is totally it. So it was mm-hmm. kind of cool to see again. I have a question, though. Were yeah. you expecting to see a good movie or a bad movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So for background, um, on my YouTube channel, as well as in life, I'm a big fan of um, of movies of a questionable nature. Either, movies... either, either way, you win with this one because you're oh, yeah. going down a nostalgic lane, and it's terrible. <laughs> see, I find it. I find it. It, it, it has a certain level of charm in what it was yeah. at that time because you've got like Steve Allen did the music for it. You have all these stars from that era that were big in that era. I mean, freaking Harvey Corman show, shows up in between <laughs> like this and the Star Wars holiday special. I don't think you can get more campy than between the two of them. Yeah. Not, okay, I've heard the term campy. Remind me what campy means. Uh, it, it's like uh, very like silly on purpose. Okay. I think we're going to have different perspectives, so we'll both bring color to this interview. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I will also add, and this is this is a deep cut by any standards. I remember as a kid, I don't even know where my parents got it, but there was a show called Zoobly Zoo, and it's kind of a... I don't know, You're I think bringing only... back a very repressed memory. Oh my god. Just the... Okay, so the way... And this is probably going to... This is probably not going to help your outlook on this, but like the way that they did all the character, like all the animals... 100%. The, oh my god. I, now, now everything is coming back. I remember that show. This is exactly that. I don't remember that show, and that's okay. It was when I was really little, so you probably were a baby. Yeah. So Zubilee's Do was... I don't even know how you would describe it. It was like a, like a, a town of people... Like they had a, a mayor and a, I think they had a, a police chief and several different animals. There was like a kangaroo and a lion and all that stuff. And I mean, it would be, have been just like, you know, a normal little kid show. But all of the characters, like they had that kind of a fun fur, like body suits. Mm-hmm. Then they had clothes and, you know, they had like the hooves or whatever the animal was. But just the headgear that they had was very specific to like if you were a mouse, it was a lot taller and it had the ears or, you know, the bunny or whatever. But then you had, like, the full face of the person, and it was, like, like painted 
the way it in theory should be with like um fur textures or whatever naturally <laughs> and like no beak so they had like they would just paint like your nose and, and mouth to sort of look like a beak as compared to having like a prosthetic <laughs> i like how you yes no prosthetics <laughs> <laughs> well and originally just looking at the trivia for this they had done like they did um the plaster masks that would be done for like a proper mask um if you were doing like prosthetics and things like that but they were worried because there were all, all these big actors that were doing cameos they actually started with that but then the studio was like no we can't do that we want to be able to see who these people are because like you Cary know grant that i was just gonna say that reminds me of what happened in the 33 version which we'd also talked about doing but we haven't yet sarah and i have watched it years ago i reviewed it but this is before i started doing things this way you'd that, love it yeah that version was all like big name <laughs> actors but they had masks on so you couldn't tell who was who right exactly which, and some of the voices it, go ahead sorry you know if they were ever ashamed then at least they were covered <laughs> <laughs> i mean the one thing with this i'll say and i would imagine at least with a lot of the big vo- the big names of that time y- there's always that oh, i know that voice you know i know you know, yeah. this person is this, that person is that, if you have any understanding of the person. So. Well, there is a ton of people in here. I was going to write a list of all the people and talk about it at the beginning, but there's so many people. I figured we'll just talk about each one as we get to them because this is full. <laughs> well, first, let's talk about Alice, Natalie Gregory. And I didn't think I knew her from anything, but it turned out I did. She was the voice of Jenny in Oliver and Company. Really? Oh, that's yeah. so cool. I loved Oliver and Company. Billy yeah. Joel didn't make it onto this one, though. What? So Billy Joel didn't make it onto this one, though. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would have been too... Uh, I don't even know. This is such a, a thing of its time. I don't know that Billy Joel is silly enough to end up on <laughs> something like this. Oh, God. that That is true. Like the, the, the one thing you can say about this is it very much plays into that whimsical, very... Uh, what well, like back then they did like the um variety shows. It so plays into that. Oh yeah, you you genuinely enjoyed this film, didn't you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I mean, so, okay. Here's the thing. I I, I I I will admit that the music, it got to be, you know that there's that there's that time and place for music, oh, and I think yeah. that's one thing. Of, oh god, sorry. No, it's okay. But I think I think we can kind of talk about the songs as we go because there were actually a couple that. I was relatively okay with. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. and, and I would say that, like, that the music for me, like, I'm a per- like, unless you're watching a specific dedicated musical, there's a time and place. And I think it's like every, you know, you, you could expect that as every scene broke down, there was going to be at least one song in here. And I think that was something of the era. But honest to God, I, I could have done, you could have taken out about half the songs mm-hmm. and been great in my yeah. book. Yeah. There was a lot. <laughs> I could have taken out most of the songs and be like, yeah, okay. Do we want to go scene by scene? How did we want to do this? Yeah, probably. Okay, because then you can praise and I can complain scene by scene. <laughs> well, and, and, I, and I'll be and like 50-50 either way, whether I'm praising or complaining. <laughs> it'll, it'll be balanced. Sweet and sour will be like good Chinese food. Absolutely. <laughs> well, aside from Alice, you have the mother and sister at the beginning. The mother is Sheila Allen, who... I don't know if I knew her from anything. I looked her up. I'd heard of a lot she was in, but I didn't recognize her. So I don't know. 
But she she's not married to Steve Allen then. She's just No, she Allen. is actually. I think oh, that's okay. why she made according to the trivia, that's why she was in it, I think. Did anybody huh. did anybody start watching this and feel like, wow, that sister is so grown like Alice was like the child that they didn't expect to have. <laughs> <laughs> but then I find out that this is her actual sister in real life. Well, she was born in sixty four. I'm just looking here. She was born in sixty four and Natalie was born in 75, so they were 11 years different. Huh. Okay, okay. But I didn't realize at first when I started watching that she was 10, which makes sense that she would be a little bit older. She does seem younger than that to me, but that may be how they did her up, how she's acting, and the fact that I was tall when I was 10. So, I don't know. And I think she's playing a 7-year-old, right? Yeah. Yes. And apparently she's like the youngest person to play Alice which I oh. I question because like the girl in the Czech version seemed yeah. younger she than was that. Really they, young. Whoever said that on the page may not have may have been like maybe they meant American version. Sure, I could Possibly. see that. As far as the sister, I'm not sure how much of an actress she was. She didn't have any really big roles. I don't think she did much other than this. Did you start to get the feeling as you're watching this is like wow, this is so American. Yes, very much. And like, are we? that rude <laughs> i mean but of course the british people are probably just as rude in the story but they sound better doing it so i think you're right on that like they're very and i think of the era too because when would alice in wonderland have been written uh, roughly was it 1800s yeah. yes during the reign of queen victoria was it okay. 1860s maybe i want to say 70s? 1860s but i'm i'm not 100 percent sure but it was around there and you're talking possibly rude versus blunt you know Oh, that's Cause a, true. Because a lot Which of British can be people, both. <laughs> exactly. Because I mean, if you go, especially like, because I, I worked at a, I worked over in England for a bit at a very traditional British B and B, and cool. Even the guy that owned that was incredibly like, he didn't sugarcoat anything. He was very much, if you forgot like silverware on the table, like if if you someone was having a fish dish and you didn't remove the meat knife and fork, he would take you out there by the collar and apologize to the people and say to you don't forget the silverware you know like it was that kind of thing so i do think that that was a that that level of bluntness of the era especially towards someone younger hmm. all righty then <laughs> possibly I, I i really am not 100 percent sure but i i do think that that to some extent plays in sure they're the authority figures but then she was quite you're right though she was definitely very she could dish it out and take it yeah Kind of like my family. <laughs> <laughs> How did you all feel about her acting? Because I, I thought, okay, is this like a theater thing going on here? I was looking for some history because it, she seemed like somebody who had training in dancing. And I thought, well, maybe there's theater going on here. And I didn't, I didn't care for her acting as much. I thought it was kind of hit or miss. And I, th I thought she overacted a little bit. And I did, I kind of put it off on the direction rather than the acting because she did a lot of things that you wouldn't think that a normal kid would do. And she said a lot of things that I don't think a normal kid would say. I think she narrated a little too much. And I put that off on the script and the direction more than I put it off on her. I think she was doing what she was told. True. I looked at this, like, I, I agree with Sarah. I think it definitely had that it definitely had a feeling of more theater than it did of a miniseries to me, like what you would mm. traditionally associate with that. And it did feel 
I'm torn on this because like with a lot of the movies I watch and I, I don't think this is low budget per se, but there's definitely that era of it's still a kid actor on a TV thing. It's not like you're talking a multi-million dollar movie kind of a deal mm-hmm. for what she was for what she had to say and how she had to say it. I think that it was it was well done for what she was trying to do, but it definitely had more of a one note quality to it. I, I don't know. I But the, yet when you're talking kid actors uh there, there's that level of you know you've got drew barrymore in in doing the things that she did as a kid and then you've got like this and then you have like i don't know some kid that can't keep looking at the camera or whatever you know it's i don't know kind of between yeah 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 like i appreciated what she did because i couldn't do it at that age sure we haven't even like gotten off the bank yet <laughs> Well, and I think once you get the ball rolling, you know, you get past the preliminary stuff and get oh, into good the actual luck. thing. Good luck. <laughs> right. No, I understand. <laughs> it's an odd mix of a miniseries. Like, like, I remember watching it as a kid and being enthralled by those parts of it. But the only parts I remembered were the things that really stood out, like the fact that she crawled through a mirror and Carol Channing, and just because her voice is so unique. The rest of it, I didn't remember from one side to the other. So, Yeah. Well, the one thing that this series did that a lot of Alice versions do is they give Alice some sort of an outside motivation. Like, they try and beef up her story in the real world instead of just going straight into nonsense. And with this one, she's obsessed with growing up, and tea time is the mark of growing up for some reason. Which I have issues with. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I, I, I can see why... They would layer over an extra plot line, but my brain is like, you're a child, enjoy it. <laughs> Let's not make too big a deal out of this. Did anybody recognize the actor Red Buttons? I, I know of him. Like he was in Poseidon Adventure. Um, I think he was a comedian. I, I, I know I've seen him on things, but uh, I always get him and Red Skelton mixed up. So I know him, but not well <laughs> okay i i didn't recognize him but i looked him up and it said that he played the doctor's assistant in pete's dragon and i haven't seen pete's dragon in years like the original one mm-hmm. but i vaguely remember him from that so that's the only place i would have known him from so taking off after the rabbit you go down the lightning nightmare hole <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was which every different. child is like yes let me chase the giant anthropomorphic rabbit down the lightning hole (laughs) hey as a kid it's exciting (laughs) okay if that was your childhood um (laughs) i did dangerous things too just not that one (laughs) no that so that was i guess they were trying to add some excitement there um instead of having her look at a jar of marmalade while drifting slowly down into the center of the earth um and I didn't know what they were going to do with the series of doors. I thought they were basically just going to have all these doors layered in to get down to the tiny one and it'll be the garden, but they actually did have the hall of doors. Um, and then it shuts behind her like there's a demon beast or something when she gets into the hall of doors. So, yeah. Not a good moment to be a small girl in an underground cavern. <laughs> Well, you you know how all those old and this is I know that there wasn't a commercial break there, but you know you're trying to build the suspension to get people into the story, like and then before every break or every you know setup commercial break, 
they'd have that that kind of like stinger music and kind of leave it on a leave it on a cliffhanger right that's a lot of that's a lot of a lot of commercial breaks but or a lot of a lot of clips to leave people on when you go to commercial break but that's kind of what i got from that was it was supposed to be like you know it got you into the story but it needs to draw you further that way you're like oh I can't leave now. Even, you know, they're getting into the room of doors. What's going to happen? Ah! <laughs> I suppose if you are watching it for the first time instead of the 500th like me, I... <laughs> Understandable. But even, you know, if you think about your average 30-something mom that, you know, watched uh, Alice in Wonderland as a kid, the, the Disney version, and maybe caught a version between here and there, but like, your memory going back to that is going to be, oh, I remember Alice in Wonderland. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, I don't remember this part. Or, oh, look at this. Or, yeah, you know, because there's it wasn't that in the book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no. And like for an American mom at the time, probably only seen the Disney version. I think for most Americans, unless they're in this niche that seems to exist, um, they've probably only seen the Disney version as a kid. I mean, I can speak for myself that I have seen two or three versions in addition to the ones that Jonathan and I have reviewed, but... You're I also, mean it, uh, like, you have a movie channel and you're reviewing with Jonathan, so I doubt that you're, like, everybody. <laughs> well, true, true. <laughs> you know stuff. But then to that point, I, like, I was watching even this version, which is the most comprehensive one that I've seen in... I don't even know how many years, but like I'm watching it going, okay, I know that some of these pieces are definitely not part of the book, but I, I couldn't identify outside of the, the big ones, you know, what was exaggerated for this miniseries versus what was not included and whatnot, or what shouldn't have been included. Well, and sometimes we have to reference the book because it's been years since mm -hmm. I read through the whole thing. I have read all of it, but nice. there are all these little details that you can be like, wait, who... What, how did the train scene go? You know, mm -hmm. so yeah, like the Humpty Dumpty thing. I'm sitting there going, Humpty Dumpty, really? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know that's a thing, and yeah, uh, they didn't do it accurately, but yeah, we'll, we can get into that <laughs> when we get. <laughs> that's the uh, next. That's the next. That's part two. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, and then okay, so she's in the Hall of Doors, and she's acting like the little door may be the way home, which I guess that's logical sort of as logical as the story is um for a child to think that but it's really not accurate to the book she just wanted to get into the beautiful garden you know mm -hmm. it they did sort of an interesting bottle design for the drink me instead of having a tag to have it sort of embossed metal it's very fancy and the cake too was very fancy i remember thinking that i wanted that box when i was a kid like i thought that would have been so cool <laughs> if you get on the internet, there are probably like 10 versions and you can decide which one that you want and then put tiny cakes in it and pretend to be fancy. Yeah. But will I get bigger and smaller based on them? Um, it depends on how many cakes you eat. Point <laughs> <laughs> <Me> taken. <laughs> so, I take one bite out a day, but it doesn't, you know, mold. That would be cool, but the unfortunately just that's just not... get just get the um something from the hostess company and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They also did this a little bit differently, where instead of having her swimming in the hall, 
she like falls out a crack in the wall. I put it as like canal of tears. <laughs> I, I wrote it's a brook at best. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, oh, now I've fallen into the sea. And I'm like, that is not a sea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing, too. And it's again, it turns into that thing of like the budget of something like that. In the book, you can, and even with like, you look at Harry Potter and things like that, the size of like Haggard, for instance, is, you know, supposed to be massive and he's supposed to be imposing. But when you're trying to work with that on a, you know, live action scale, you kind of have to work with what you've got available and trying Mm. to do like a gigantic sea of tears. I don't know. I feel like they could have done more with that. But like, even when she's crying and flooding the space, it doesn't really like she's too small to really flood it properly. That that's how it goes in a lot of versions. <laughs> I can imagine. Like they did, I felt like they did a fairly good job with the whole crying on the floor thing. They just copped out of of the swimming her way out into the garden. Mm-hmm. And then I have written down rowdy pigeon <laughs> before <laughs> Canal of Tears. Like whoever that woman was who played the pigeon, like she really put herself. Like she could. She. Could, I I think that was supposed to be the dodo. Oh, yeah, okay. that was uh, Shelly uh, Shelley Winter. Well, she put herself into it, man. <laughs> um, well, according to the trivia, she said basically she demanded that they give her a line instead of bird choking sounds. I'm an Oscar winner. You give me words to speak. Remember the Poseidon? You're trying to drown me. <laughs> Did she say that on the... <laughs> uh, no. She said, okay. She said that as far as like the behind the scenes of this. Yeah, it's so. like, yeah, she was not, okay. So it sounds like they weren't going to give her any lines, they just wanted a star in that role for no reason. Well, and that's this whole movie. Look at, like, all of these all of these big stars that were in it for cameos. Oh, you know, yeah, you this had... scene in particular. I, yeah. don't know, I don't know how much I feel sorry for her, because she's like, I want attention. I deserve attention. The one that I felt sorry for was Donald O'Connor. It's like, <laughs> he, Oh, this is how far have you fallen that you're this poor man playing like okay uh, i have rowdy pigeon canal of tears slash mouse with yellow teeth and then right beneath that is my first help <laughs> <laughs> which implies you wrote help up? multiple times <laughs> i think i might have help more than once in my notes here um but no donald o'connor just like he's just good-looking young guy with all these amazing dancing abilities so it was fitting that he danced with alice a little bit but it's like he was on another alice version maybe you remember this jonathan the american i had forgotten but when i looked him up i was like oh yeah he was the mock turtle in that pbs version that might have given him a little more dignity than this one but it's like you you deserve more donald (laughs) deserve more than to be painted and feathered and trotted out (laughs) in your old age i just I love you, Donald. <laughs> it anyway. was interesting with the with the birds at the open, just like and I was looking when they did the the lineup and I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot of a lot of people of note that are these birds. And then all of a sudden, yeah, they just float by and you're just like That's And you it? never see them again. <laughs> no, they don't come back up at all. Not even for like the curtain call at the end. It's just right, like right. even if it was a faraway shot, you're missing half your cast. I mean, the only one of the first you know how half an hour or whatever that you know got decent that got treated decently was sammy davis jr and how much money did the poor birds make <laughs> you know go up Bird burgers afterward and go cry remember the glory days except for shelly winters who decided to give a good squawk or two 
<laughs> yeah, because she deserved it. That's man, right. Dang it. She, she's Shelly Winters, man. Exactly, exactly. This scene, I, I felt like you start to get the feeling like, okay, this is supposed to appeal to children. I think probably with the music, trying to engage children that way, it doesn't feel so much like, uh, you know, sometimes Alice... It's almost more for grown-ups. <laughs> like, especially at this point, if you're going to get the historical references and stuff. But this one with the with the song and dance and whatever, I think it did fit more into the children category. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can say watching it as a kid, it definitely... Like, I, I remember it fondly, and I certainly, like, went looking for it afterwards. But it wasn't... It was those few specific things that kind of stuck with me. So I... I, I can't like I can't say the music really stuck with me. I I can't say the dancing did. It was more those those specific elements. And I don't know. Maybe as a weird kid, I can actually guarantee I was a weird kid. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, we all have our. I mean, it's understandable if Carol Channing got stuck in your head. Okay? Oh my god! <laughs> I, I like I'm sitting here thinking, marry them all. You know, watching Thumbelina. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen Thumbelina in years. I forgot that she was in that. I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but kind of fun and sweet at the same time. (laughs) And that song about coming home, that's really cozy. Anyway. (laughs) Rather watch that than this, right? It's shorter, that's for sure. <laughs> and I and the thing is, this I don't have any childhood memories attached to that. That's another thing um, that maybe would have made a difference for me. Whereas, yeah, Thumbelina, I grew up watching that. Oh, yeah. No, and that certainly does make a difference. And, I mean, like I say, I, I haven't heard anybody talk about the 80s like this. I don't think I've ever run across anyone. And regretted I haven't brought it up in conversation randomly like, hey... Remember well, that, this is uh, this is one I get requested like a lot. Really, like this like, is one of the most uh, requested ones since I started reviewing Alice in Wonderland. Apparently, apparently, the hardcore Alice people are after this one, and I really? and and watching, yeah, apparently, and watching. Well, and if they're in our age bracket, then they probably a lot of people with childhood memories connected probably, to yeah. this one. Um, and I feel like as much as I intend to complain. It really does belong in our canon of episodes. Like, just the the style, the the length, everything. It just, it fits in with this whole series. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one that you need to watch if you're planning to watch all the Alice's. Definitely. And in the, just the star power of this, I could see being a real draw for folks. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, Harvey Corman alone, not that, not that Harvey Corman equals quality as we've seen with other things. <laughs> um, but it, just that like that era of of tv does have that warm fuzzy for a lot of people you know i mean like you talk about donald uh apologies uh o'connor, donald o- o'connor yeah thank you i mean just that that He's, 60s 70s era of variety and and well, television people like with donald o'connor that's that's my childhood because i grew up watching you know like singing in the rain that's awesome though so, he was great Yes, he was. <laughs> he kicked so much butt. Like, total, just, yeah. There's. I should watch more Donald O'Connor, and then I'll be like, wow, this movie is so shallow, but it was fun. <laughs> well, and, and it's because they had so many cameos. You get that great amuse-bouche of, like, oh, I can have a little bit of this, in, or I guess a buffet of, of, of that era. You know, you get a little bit of this actor and a little bit of that actor. But in that same vein, you don't really get any depth on them because you you're 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 given such a small portion of each one 
mm-hmm. outside of like the red and the, the white um, queens. Everyone else just kind of comes in and out. It's one of those things, if you're already familiar with their personality, which I was familiar with a fair amount of these people, then you see, okay, they're playing into... Well, okay, I'm thinking like Sammy Davis, which that's mm-hmm. skipping ahead. No, or no, no. The, the next bit would be the rabbit house where she's Marianne. And I felt like <laughs> they did a fairly good job tying all of that together. Like they took a little bit of liberty with the whole fan and glove scenario, but they did a pretty good job with the segues there. And I liked the house. I liked the furnishings. And they included Pat and Bill. They made that a little bit different. But it, this this film was an odd admixture of a lot of accuracy to the book with tons of liberties thrown in. It was mm-hmm. kind of a weird sandwich of hot and cold. I, I don't know. <laughs> and this is a small detail that I don't know. Okay. For any hardcore nerd, I just noticed that they had a thatch roof instead of a tile roof. You have Bill who a tile falls to the ground during the scene. It's not important, not a big deal. It's just something I noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with noticing the small details. That's, I mean, with this series, when you've watched as many as we've watched, you might as well pick up on small details because otherwise- absolutely. (laughs) You have to, it's the same like, if you've got all your major pillars of, of plot, you know, it is those small details that separate one from another. And yeah, whether each- this was enjoyable, whether it was accurate, whether you would come back to it or not. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's why people come back to your series is they're looking for those those differences. And if it's worth this, looking at. The, the people who watch this series must be like people who collect monocles or... I don't know. There is so specific. It's such a specific love, and it's an understandable love too. But it's it's interesting that there is the community out there that love the story that much. Would you say that, given and obviously, like you look at like uh, Phantom of the Opera, this you know other stories, kind of in this in that realm, like those really classic stories. Do you think Alice is probably one of the ones that is the most redone, right? absolutely yeah, yeah, by far absolutely like we started a series okay peter and the wolf yeah there there's variation but not the extreme variation of alice mm-hmm. and and like the secret garden an absolutely beautiful and worthy story you're not going to have the same amount of variation i think maybe part of it is that this is so whimsical like it just begs for theater doesn't it mm-hmm. so, and it's the perfect thing for to do a version like this where there's a ton of stars each having their own little cameo because there's so many weird characters in so these many stories little things mm-hmm. that can be yeah so yeah it kind of lends itself more than some other stories good to know cool i don't know how much yeah we, well, i guess i'm we've just talk, curious yeah. i guess we've talked about that between ourselves a little bit but no that's a good point to bring up um did you have anything else you wanted to say about this scene? Or? <laughs> well, my, my main takeaway from this scene was that Bill the Lizard looked like a Doctor Who villain from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Very much did. And I also loved the gigantic invite that the frog had. Oh, oh, oh that's, we're, that's we're, not that scene yet. Okay. That's oh, the Duchess's oh, oh, house. Oh, sorry. Sorry, wrong. No, oh, it's okay. The next one is the is Sammy Davis. We can finally talk about Sammy <laughs> Davis more fully. I have, like, smoker's lung. He must have been coughing at the beginning of this scene. <laughs> this, I don't let me just take over this because I have thoughts. You're okay. Have at it. What about you, Jonathan? I liked this scene. This is one of my favorite scenes. I, I put... 
you know, Sammy Davis, the most kindly caterpillar. <laughs> like, normally the caterpillar that, yeah, is this true. really grumpy, he's like, he's like the uncle or something hanging out in the library. Who are you? You know? And, <laughs> and Sammy Davis is more like, oh, come here, child. D- d- take a candy. Let's dance together. You know, it's, um, oh, you're struggling. I, you know, he had the most compassionate look on his face. I, I, they didn't have proper resolution. To th- okay. I have never seen the caterpillar explode in a puff of smoke and then come out dancing. Okay. Yeah, that, that is true. I, I wrote in my notes, the caterpillar explodes. And I wrote explodes in giant letters. It, it's like, that was shocked. Like, this is way different than I've ever seen. This is where they were totally playing into who Sammy Davis was, not what the scene was. Yeah. True. Uh, and it was one of the most different takes that I've ever seen if not the most different take on the you are old father william yeah but i really liked that about it i liked that they turned it into a dance number where the caterpillar is father william and alice is his son i don't think i'm gonna lodge massive complaints about this scene (laughs) They, they took creative liberty he actually was nice in the character one of the things okay tiny complaint and it probably doesn't matter that much they didn't have the whole resolution to the scene of you know one side makes you grow bigger one side makes you grow smaller you know the mushroom and they just chose to leave that out it's really iconic in my mind that's usually in there but i mean it still worked without it Mm -hmm. so if you just love sammy davis and yeah it, it was a, it was an interesting take on the scene. I enjoyed the weird take. I the, like the the explosions were, I guess, they they fit for the era. They fit kind of that that feel. And it's definitely of the characters or of the the performances that we get. I think his is like you say the most him. So I don't know if it was a case of like he was being paid the most, or in theory he was like the biggest star on this. But he definitely let it off with like it was equal parts him and what he did over story-wise so yeah definitely yeah, yeah there was a physicality to it that i don't think a lot of the other celebrity cameos had that's true. it certainly wasn't you know shelly winter you know, <laughs> floating down the river <laughs> <smoking>. <laughs> and then we can uh we move on to unless you have something more to add we move on to your fish messenger <laughs> From a distance, was it a frog or a fish? In Both. The, yeah, oh. the, the, the frog belong is the, the servant of the duchess. The fish is the one delivering the message. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Because it was the frog that was outside, like, yes. stood outside when Alice and him had the whole back and forth. Yes. Okay, got exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, that's such an obvious detail, Nick. <laughs> just, just kidding. No, that comes no, from no. watching all these versions and reading the book that you would be like, yes, no, it's the fish that delivers the message. <laughs> I mean, a frog is an obvious choice for someone to stand there by the front gate and, you know, hold Four a giant version. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, I do have one real quick piece here. I'm just looking back to the trivia. So... And this jumps ahead a bit, but bear with me because it does come back to now. So when Alice grows in the court scene, she says, I didn't eat, but I didn't eat any cake or mushroom. There was a deleted scene where Alice ate the caterpillar's mushroom, which calls, which caused her to grow and shrink. So it was a deleted oh, scene from okay. the thing. Okay. So they obviously decided, well, we want to fit this other thing in instead of this. Exactly. 
or they went along and maybe it didn't turn out properly or whatever but that's okay well so they that didn't would be more of an it. excuse that would be more of an excuse than not including it right well that that was a thank you for thank you for mentioning that that's absolutely i'm happy to be of assistance <laughs> <laughs> now who played the duchess i know it was a famous she seemed, uh, she seemed familiar to me Martha Ray, and it was her final movie. Let's see. She was uh, Jumbo Wakiki or Waikiki Wedding. I looked her up, but I didn't recognize anything she'd been in. She was in The Love Boat. I mean, she did a. Oh, she was in Love American Style. Did she act um, in the 30s? Was she ever in a movie with in Bob the 30s? Hope? Am I making she was a uh, big broadcast of 37 Hideaway Girl, College Holiday. I wonder if um, I watched one of those. Double or nothing. I would have to look her up, but I'm just envisioning somebody, but in a younger state, and it's not super important. But there was a, a lady back in the day who was. She's beautiful. Okay. Um, I don't know if I can share screens here. Let's see. Was she on Singing in the Rain? That would be no. A question. Okay. Then she she's was not in... the. She's not the person that I'm thinking of because there was a lady who was a voice coach on Singing in the Rain and was really hammy. I've probably seen her in something, but. Oh, I wonder. I wonder if I saw her in College Swing. I wonder. Oh, George that... Burns, Gracie Allen. Yeah, I wonder if I watched. I don't know if I watched the whole thing, but I feel like I saw her in that. Yep, Bob Hope. Yep. Cool. Yeah, Martha Ray. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I saw her in. I don't know if I watched the. Whole... Actually, I probably watched the whole Shallow thing, and it was entertaining. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No, she was great in it. I loved, I loved the Duchess character. I thought she was fun. You um, would probably I, enjoy College Swing. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kept going back to the fact that she reminded me of Carol Burnett. Hmm. Like just her, the way that she enunciated, and the way that she kind of handed up. Should have had Carol Burnett in this. Oh, she would have been. She would have elevated. <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> now this is not okay. This is not true. This is me trivia. Okay. Did anybody else look at the blanket that the Duchess had the baby and think, that reminds me of a blanket that we had when I was little. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty cool, though. Little pastel colors. <laughs> and that baby was probably the most pitiful baby that I've ever heard in the scene. Like, she plops it in the bed and, like... <laughs> lets out this little pitiful noise and normally you're not made to feel that sorry for the baby but this one seemed more normal and like oh that's it not... wasn't a hideous monstrosity of a know, puppet just, just, it that is one true of, it made one or more noises that were just like oh that, that poor baby yeah. <laughs> i mean you know for a for a for a, a human pig hybrid i felt bad for her and the baby yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it <laughs> I and this was I don't know this might be the first positive comment that I had I said I like hate song best part of movie question <laughs> mark <laughs> it was a very fun song there's like no the, doubt uh, there were two songs there were two songs out of this whole thing that I backed up like I want to listen to that some more and it was the hate song and the other um, vindictive song later on like for some reason these were the ones resonating with me <laughs> well considering how you ended up feeling about the overall miniseries I think that's not a bad thing you know it kind of backs up how you're feeling no I don't think that's it <laughs> <laughs> but vindictive okay, songs okay. are more fun uh, like 
I think it's just the whole release of somebody being unpleasant and pessimistic. Not that you want to stay in that place, but it's like making light of negative feelings. Like there's a song by Noel Coward called There Are Bad Times Just Around the Corner. And mm-hmm. he takes these old songs that were meant to um, like, okay, there, you know, the song, there'll be bluebirds over the mm-hmm. white cliffs. Oh, well, he says there are blackbirds over the grayish cliffs of Dover and <laughs> all of these different things. Like, and there's no good whining about a silver, a silver lining because we know from experience that they won't roll by. And it's just, it's, but he's sing, singing it in this really dry British matter of fact way. And it's just so, it's so funny and so entertaining. And so these songs where they're like, oh, I know how to make my subjects hide under their beds and there's like no point in being optimistic and pleasant and everything uh, for some reason that just it was kind of cathartic or something <laughs> <laughs> so how did you feel about the i hate dogs and cats song done by um sherman helmsley the mouse yeah i, yeah. I did not like that <laughs> i did not like that Probably, understandable I, yeah no <laughs> i i i'll probably think of how to explain it after the fact but no nothing wrong with that <laughs> and i have why bald cat because <laughs> teddy savalas i think probably because teddy savalas is known for being bald and th- see that's they're playing into something that's known to other people but if you're watching it without knowing this character you're like why would you do that? That is weird. He was an odd choice too. Like of, of all the people, again, and and I could probably say this for a lot of roles, but and I know that it's a generally speaking male character, but I could see um like Tim Conway or Carol Burnett absolutely killing it as the Cheshire Cat. Like just oh, that smile, yeah. it just didn't. I'm sorry. It's like he was like a, not a hard bitten detective guy, but. Like he played very serious roles, and I just of all the characters, the Cheshire, and maybe it's because of time, but the Cheshire Cat is such an iconic, you know, for the for the smile and the and the the head and all that stuff. There was nothing about this that made me think Cheshire Cat. I just I looked at it and went, eh. Okay, so you you actually have a complaint? Yeah. Oh, I have, I have, I have given. Like generally speaking, yeah. I mean, there's, there's. I'm not gonna say that this was a knock, you know, a knockdown, drag out, perfect adaptation by any stretch. It's still I, an '80s thing. Like, truthfully, when we got to um, the Duchess part of it, I, I wrote down that it feels like it's, it feels, it feels like something like Tales from the Crypt because I was trying to figure out how it felt to me because it reminded see, me of things I'd seen previous. Go ahead, this sorry. is hila- this is hilarious because the Duchess part to me. That was one of the better parts. Oh, no. I, I just mean, <laughs> and, like, to that point, I was trying to think of it. And just the way that it kind of presented itself, it gave me, like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I love Tales from the Dark Side. It's cute, but slightly sinister is oh, what I Oh, no. The, the Duchess part is supposed to be dark. Really? Like, how do you get around that? We've seen, <laughs> we've seen worse than this, though. <laughs> the one, there was, there's one line here that reminded me of the really bad one. They changed it for this version because there's a line in the book, speaking of axes off with her head, 
and they they had that line in here, but they said, speaking of axes, chop off her nose. <laughs> I was like, are they trying to kid friendly that? Because that's, 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 no that's, way that's to not kid that, that much and, more kid friendly. And my friendly. mind is flashing back to the 30s one. Yeah. Where, there where was, she's coming after her with an axe. She's crazed and she has an axe. So you need to watch the 30s one. Yes, check it out. Yeah, that I'll one would be out. one for you. Yes. I, I will say, though, okay, I was not familiar with the actor who played the Cheshire Cat. And this is another thing. It's like he had such a kind face. Like the Cheshire Cat is is kind of a Creepy, little bit crazy. Sinister. Crazy. No, I don't view the Cheshire Cat as sinister. They can make it sinister. They can leave a plush head on the branch. But <laughs> this one, he had such a kind face. And then there was that weird song about uh-huh. being stuck there and not having hope. And I'm like, it rhymed, but. This was not good. So my my biggest praise is that I just liked his face. (laughs) (laughs) He had a good face. He did have a good face, just not for the cat, though, in my my opinion. And uh, that's fine. (laughs) Your suggestions would have been better. (laughs) And I'm sure that was probably a case of, again, who was big and who was available at the time. Because that's really what they seem like they were going for. Like, and not even like, a, oh, well, we've got, you know, such and so on the phone. What can we, you know, what can we put them in? Oh, let's just make them join Shelly Winter in the in the salty brook of tears, you know? Well, okay. And the whole meow baby thing, was that supposed to be playing into some his personality? I think so. Like, is, I he, think like an, is he like an Italian-American or something? I think... He, uh, let me look it up quick. I, I don't honestly remember. I know that he's not Italian or French or whatever, but yeah, I think he's Deli Savalas. He is. I was born in New York. Oh, Greek, Greek, which would still play into that whole like, you know, kind of suave. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I will also add that the cook's aim. Oh, my God. That was amazing. <laughs> what did i miss uh, she just she managed to hit like the same space or same place on the curio thing like multiple times maybe she was a softball player in high school <laughs> very possibly reliving the old days so yeah you have the cat not giving reasonable hope and yeah the plot line was just kind of weird there but then we move on like we're supposed to to the tea party now we get to share our thoughts <laughs> Well, we can first talk about the people in the scene because I was surprised at who the Mad Hatter was. I didn't recognize him, but I looked him up and he's the guy who wrote like all the songs for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Wow. Oh yeah, he had and his, his teeth were, his teeth were not like that in real life. He <laughs> <laughs> was also uh Captain Captain Manzini in the Garbage Pail Kids movie. <laughs> We we all have a unique perspective because I said the Hatter reminds me of Bijan Kamkar, but Bijan Kamkar is cooler. <laughs> well, and one thing I noticed at this point, and I, I I think I don't think I'm right on this particular on this on the on the Hatter himself because um, when he played in Garbage Pail Kids, he's got these gigantic eye eyebrows but the one thing i noticed throughout this movie like after i saw his eyebrows there there are so many crazy eyebrows in this movie <laughs> oh you know i don't know how much i paid attention like the griffin had like feathers like specifically placed across his eyebrows there was other 
Like, um, I think the mo- no. I feel like I appreciated the feather thing. On no, that. understandable, hundred yeah. percent. There was a lot of them though that had like really extreme eyebrows, and I'm going, wow, those are some fancy eyebrows. I mean, well, oh, and then like looping back to the Hatter, I, I, I was not paying enough attention to the eyebrows. I think, yeah, I was too distracted by the teeth, and I actually paused the video and went and went and listened to a Bijan song, um, <laughs> which is like he's okay. Do you know who Bijan is? Bijan. I I've heard the name. I'm not familiar. Off Bless anybody. you. Bless you. I didn't think anybody <laughs> would know. Please tell me more. <laughs> okay, so he's like this super famous Middle Eastern folk musician. If you're into Middle Eastern folk, but I think he was in like he's of the same era as Bob Dylan and. Oh, cool. Um, yo, know, he's just this, he's this really cool figure. And he, I don't know if he would appreciate... He'll never listen to this, Lord willing. <laughs> he probably would not appreciate me comparing <laughs> to the Hatter. But, but then when I look up, looked up the actor, like, you can tell this guy singing, he actually has singing ability, too. Mm-hmm. Like, the guy who plays the Hatter. And he seemed like a pretty famous... Like, he got around. Mm-hmm. Very much. Like he had so a decent d- repertoire of, um, like, under composer. Yeah, he had a fair number, if I remember correctly, on IMDb. Yeah, he had. I think his composer section was longer than his actor section. Interesting. And I did. I didn't really recognize him in the actor section, but then when I saw composer, I opened that, and that's when I saw he did all the songs for Willy Wonka, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that's which, why he's famous. Which that's 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 such a good soundtrack. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. Yeah, soundtrack was 268 credits, composer is five. Like, I love I love the song about imagination on there. Oh, definitely. Actor was 78. So he's done a fair amount of acting, but yeah, definitely more so on the soundtrack front. Yeah, the soundtrack is what jumped out at me. Did anybody recognize the Dormouse? Is he famous? Uh, oh, Roddy McDowell? Oh, yeah. Artie, oh, Artie Johnson is Dormouse. Marty McDowell is oh. March Hare. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Artie yeah, Johnson. I definitely, I, I definitely recognized March Hare. Yes. Apologies. Ar- <laughs> Artie Johnson, I didn't recognize him. He okay. was a prolific actor because I looked him up, but nothing jumped out did at me. Did he do a lot of bit parts? I think so. Okay. He did a lot of voice acting. He's too. one of those where if I saw him without the makeup, I might recognize him from other things. Oh, the March Hare probably had teeth I didn't like either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember, like, what did they sing about in this scene? It shows you how memorable I don't really it was. Remember. Like, there was a song I remember. The main thing that I remember about this scene was that Roddy McDowell was the March Hare because Roddy McDowell is the only person that I knew right. already. Right. And I know him because he was in that darn cat, and that's like, that's I, he's in a lot of other things, but that's the main thing that's that I know. One, him from. I I put DC down. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was the boyfriend of her sister. He also, a really awful boyfriend. <laughs> if you ever saw um, Batman the Animated Series, he was the voice of the Mad Hatter there, too. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Another Alice in Wonderland connection. Very much so. Um, and then he also, he was in um, Planet of the Apes. Uh, what else? He's been in it. T- like, he's one of those actors that's just like, not like, you know, oh, kind of guy, but still. He's still all over the so place. That darn oh, yeah. That was probably his best role ever. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, is there any doubt? I want my duck. <laughs> 
So in the grand scheme of uh, tea parties that you've seen, where does this one rank? Um, it's not the worst, but it's not the best. Yeah. It's kind they, of in the middle. they inserted silly lines in there that totally did not belong, and it was cheesy. And I, I, I wrote down that they added a ton of dialogue and wordplay, but it was written in such a way that it felt like it could be part of the story, even though it was not. That's what I was kind of wondering about, honestly. It was... Yeah, I'd rather have wordplay from... Yeah. Book, unless it's really, really clever or something, <laughs> which you, I don't know how much they delved into that. But no, at least the guy singing the song that was not memorable, that didn't need to be there, could actually sing. <laughs> I think we've had it where they purposefully sang badly or yes. maybe sang badly, but not on purpose. <laughs> I mean, we, we've kind of, we've probably run the gamut here. So, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. and it's not one of those... I mean, I probably did want the scene to be over, but I've probably also seen it where you really want the scene to end <laughs> and it doesn't want to end. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, kind of in the, the middle to bad. Yeah, it took there. a while, but it wasn't horrible. Yeah, kind of, I, I, I could see, because it is so iconic, especially from a modern standard, I could definitely see it like going, well, it's either going to be awesome or it's going to be terrible. And with expectations of, and you've seen, there have been so many variations on this you know mm-hmm. what else can you do with a with a with a tea scene even with well, as eclectic de- as it is they decided to do it <laughs> <laughs> they went all the way in their yeah their little 80s musical way <laughs> <laughs> and that was interesting like and not to say you knew that it was dubbed over i mean that that goes without saying because that's kind of what they did but there were some that were so much more clearly dubbed over than ones that weren't i was not thinking about that at all <laughs> <laughs> and you i know, didn't they, really they should have just handed him a little golden microphone and had him get up on the table and sing or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing <laughs> he just grabs dormouse's tail and starts like singing into it oh i don't know my next line is i hate tights <laughs> oh my yeah are you is that on the uh, mock turtle no, we're on to the painting the roses and the scene. Well, that well in, in between that, there was another scene that I wanted to talk about because there's a scene that either they inserted, like they made it up, or they took it from through the looking glass and then completely changed it. Because after the tea party, she finds a fawn. Oh, yes, yes. Which was sweet and maybe a little too too much spit involved. <laughs> but no, the she's supposed to be in sort of a magical wood in through the looking glass where the fawn it's almost like just the nature of the wood where the fawn is not scared of her and she's having trouble with her memory, I think. And then once they get out of the wood, the fawn is scared and runs away. But it's a very, it makes for a very sweet picture in the book with like her arm around the fawn. Mm-hmm. And they just felt like putting a cute animal in here, I guess, because this is not where that belongs. Yeah, but. and this, the scene was completely different. They didn't talk to each other at all. It was just an actual fawn. A well, very cute she, fawn. I, she but, talked to the fawn. Yeah, but, she talked to it, but it, but it wasn't didn't like talk a back. talking animal. Which I think maybe there was some back and forth dialogue in the. I think so. According to the trivia, and this is uh, according to this at least, um, the scene with the fawn and the musical number were written to be included in part two after her encounter with ah. the net, but it was shifted to part one in editing. Okay, so it, it was the fawn scene from Looking Glass then. Wow. They were 
attempting to be accurate and they muffed it. Yep. <laughs> what about the monkey? Like that was. Oh, that, oh, that was oh, not I, will, I will get to that. I okay, will get to cool. that. But <laughs> not to jump ahead. But, and and the tight thing I bring up because although I saw it with the with the um, cards, like it was just like out. Everything was out in with the mock turtle. But anyway, continue. <laughs> I oh and like looping back to the font. I doubt that I appreciated the song at the time, but this is such a common thing to mix in stuff from Through the Looking Glass into Alice Mm -hmm. that I don't have as big of a complaint about that. And it was a cute baby animal, so. Yeah. And they actually went to the trouble to include it, so. Yeah, like, I've I've only seen the fawn in one other version. And was that that one that you didn't like? Creepy puppet. (laughs) Yeah, this was an actual (laughs) cute fawn. Speaking of creepy, the queen. Man, that the she's like she wasn't creepy the whole time, but there were one or more smiles that she gave to Alice that were like, You were evil. You're like the person at the party that you don't want to be friends with. But no, I I have I have a hatred of men in tights. It's like the medieval period is over. Just put on some pants. <laughs> Well, the eighties, the eighties definitely had its own thing when it came to came to uh, tights. Holy crap! Uh, well, and then <laughs> like this, this story really lends itself to tights. It really does with like the card characters. Like it's yeah. That's but usually who's wearing tights and they all the they got a little saying. tight happy in in, in the, they did this production. But yeah, no. So I hated that. But the song, like I said, the song kind of resonated with me. <laughs> Just being cool. very unpleasant. I did enjoy the costumes. I think they did a really cool job with that, which I know it's all, it's very kind of medieval costuming, but there was a lot of like subtle, like card, you know, like the, the, the jet or the uh, club and the spade and the, the heart and the diamonds were kind of incorporated in, in kind of a neat way. Yeah. The costumes were pretty good in this scene. They weren't amazing for the entire production, but they were good in this scene. Yeah. Like I could have done without the, the fun for, that everybody had when as animals <laughs> but i will appreciate the the yeah they did a great job with the medieval costuming at all and i know that it's you expect it to like all sort of work together but there wasn't like that random person at the back wearing like you know a modern interpretation of an old school thing it all kind of kept with the same period i felt like they got a pretty good character for like they did a pretty good job with the character of the king too did you recognize the king no i because the king was the he's he played a character in the great muppet caper he's the guy on the bench by the lake oh really (laughs) (laughs) nice but i feel like they made him they managed to make him a little bit didn't they make him a little bit funny for this version this is one of the better kings robert morley is the actor's name i didn't i don't really know who that is but i recognized him for the great muppet caper looks like he's in quite a few british things like British-based things. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really recognize the queen either. That was Jane Meadows. She seems kind of familiar. I looked her up, but I didn't recognize any of her roles. But she's had a long career. So. I probably saw her in a random old movie or something. So, As she was Mitch's mom in City Slickers. I don't know who Mitch is. I recognize the name City Slickers. Like This is with, with a lot of these people... I recognized a lot of the titles that they were in, but I haven't seen them, so I don't count that as recognizing them, because oh, no. even though I recognize what they were in, I don't really know what they did, so. And they 
they actually had live flamingos for this, didn't they? And <laughs> at they, least they didn't try to use them or grab them roughly like they did in that one other version. They You're kidding! It. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the 30s, 33. Well, that was it 31 it. or 33. It was one of the 30s ones. That doesn't surprise me. I had it out of my mind, but no. <laughs> they In the 30s, they weren't necessarily going to be nice to the people, let alone. Oof. The 30s was the 30s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then they changed it up. They didn't have hedgehogs. They had, like, guinea pigs Yeah. for the croquet balls. Which is interesting. But it wasn't was so cute. <laughs> it, yeah, and it wasn't such a huge change that I was like, why didn't they have the hedgehogs? I thought the <laughs> guinea pigs were fine. They probably showed up better on camera. Probably. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting is that they had another queen. They had the queen of diamonds there, which you don't generally have other queens. Sure. She was the nice one, right? Yes. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> The Cheshire cat comes back, of course, but I thought it was weird that she acted like he was a friend, even though in the earlier scene, I think she called him a mean cat and they didn't leave on the best of terms. (laughs) Maybe a nod to the complicated relationship we can have with cats. (laughs) That is true. You know, but if you go to feed them their favorite food or their favorite treats, they'll definitely come back. Yeah. And then I have, well, did anybody have anything more to say about this scene? Just that the, when they called the Duchess in, they didn't have much of anything with her. Her scene was so short, you didn't get all the fun dialogue about morals. and. They sort of tried to insert some of that, but yeah, it was... It, it felt was weird. very truncated. Yeah, it, it felt kind of like, well, we have to get this in there because reasons, and so they just kind of like, okay, just say this. It worked well enough, I guess. They could have turned it into a whole song. We should probably be counting our <laughs> blessings. <laughs> it could have been in the uh about the, the mustard mine <laughs> oh. i think i would have liked it if they had turned turned her scene into a song if they'd actually use the dialogue from the book if because gotten, i do like the dialogue from gotten, the book they might be giants to do a song about a mustard mine by that they should <laughs> <laughs> then we have the weird animal tri- like i'm like what's with the baby goat and then when you move on to a chimp, <laughs> I wrote, a chimp? Ew, what on earth? <laughs> like, that was not endearing to me. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I like animals, but there's like, there's no, I don't know, the chimp kind of grossed me out for some reason. Uh, it was a really odd thing, and it feels like, I wrote down, what's with the 80s and the random monkey? The leftover from the 60s, because there was chimps all over the 60s oh it's true that's true and a little bit in the 90s too but yeah did they just want to include animals to make it more appealing to children because these things are not in the book i don't know it did not make sense they just had an extra monkeys laying around they're like well let's just do this quick (laughs) i wonder if they weren't just trying to make it more eye-catching to children to have more animals stuck in there that was just that was odd yeah i don't know it was very a very random inclusion i think they only did it to tie it back into like what i was talking about at the beginning about her relationship with her mother and wanting to be grown up and join the tea party because it was like talk about the animal's mothers and like she told them to go back to their mother or something i don't know okay and then we okay there's the griffin 
Yes. She's off to see the griffin and mock turtle after this. She's not off to see the wizard? Darn it. (laughs) Different movie. The griffin was Sid Caesar. I know which, that name. He was like a famous comedian, wasn't he? Like Sid Caesar. I'm trying. Yeah, he was. He probably started out in vaudeville, then radio, then television. I feel like I've seen clips of him. So he was in a mad, 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 mad world as Melville <laughs> uh, Crump. Uh, he started in 1941. Crump could be one of my fake names. <laughs> and he had his own show, right, in the 50s. Let me check. Yeah. Nothing according to this. I'm I'm on Wikipedia. It says he had the Caesar show from 63 to 64. Oh, okay. I was looking in the 50s. Sorry. Okay. I was thinking it was 50s, so I was wrong on that. But basically one of the early television people. Oh, he did have one in the 50s, too. Actually, he had two in the 50s. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, he was one of the pioneers. He was also in Love American Style. Another one. (laughs) That was the thing. Like, there was some people, like, I, I would look them up. And I'd see them, I'd see like the same movies. Like you mentioned, I think it was the Poseidon Adventure. There was a bunch of people from that in this. There was, I think, six of them because it was Shelley Winters, uh, Ernest Borgnine, Red Buttons, uh, and two others, three others that were in that. But then again, Poseidon Adventure was, again, one of those movies where they just had everybody. It was a star-studded affair. That makes sense then. Like it it was a good movie on its own. But it was made for celebrities. Okay. Now, here's a question. Does anybody think that Ringo Starr was crying soup? It kind of felt like it. Because I, like, I put oh, I gross tears soup question mark. <laughs> I mean, the turtle is supposed to sing a song about turtle soup. Maybe he was. I didn't even think of that. That's gross if that's true. <laughs> but his tears looked so gross. It's like, is that supposed to be soup? Maybe that's a way that turtles cry, or mock turtles cry. According to the people who made this film. (laughs) Yeah. Oi. And I put, he's crying for he has no pants. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This was like, I I was watching this like, okay, cool. It's cringy. Oh, my God. It's like, you know, there there was tights before this. But these were tights. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so, like, he probably enjoyed this role because you remember he was on another kid's show at some point. Was it Shiny Time Station? Yes, Shining Time Station. Up, That's what I recognize that him I from. That I grew up watching. I knew, I, I knew uh, he was in the Beatles, but Shining Time Station is how I knew him. So I'm guessing that he was just good with roles like this. I I don't have the same pity for him as I did for Donald Connor. Like I think he was okay <laughs> with dancing around in this costume. I do like his accent, and they obviously were doing a little nod to him by giving a a big gold earring. That was my favorite part of the costume. I was <laughs> like, that's perfect for him. They obviously modeled it after the actor. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah. TMI. <laughs> One of the best things is his accent because you had an actual British person. I mean, they had. I think they had more than one. The they did. They did. Sure. They had more than one actual British person. But and I don't know how much there is to say about this scene. The song wasn't from the book. It yeah, was about. They didn't actually sing about turtle soup. They just put it in his eyes. Apparently. Um, 
<laughs> and they had the the blue puffs coming out of their mouths, which was probably supposed to oh, engage yeah, children. I about that. What, what was, was the song that? about? Was I it think about, it was like, just about nonsense. Oh, like embracing silliness or something? Maybe. I don't know. You can tell how memorable this was. Wow. I watched <laughs> it over a week ago, so I've kind of forgotten some it, key I, details here. I finished, it on, I finished it on Wednesday. This shows you how memorable this is. If I'm, you know, three days later or whatever, four days later... I figured there was no point in watching it way ahead of time because I want it to be fresher on my mind. And even now, with all of these notes, I'm still not remembering things. <laughs> <laughs> After this is the trial for the tarts. And I put weird music for trial. And now I'm trying to remember what was weird about it. Was it like... Well, the Hatter sang a song. No, it was just like the, the music that they paired with the scene was odd. The jury they had was just a bunch of birds for some reason. They were all ducks, weren't they? I think there were some parrots in there, too. Okay. It was hard to tell from a distance. Was Donald in there, or had he gone home? <laughs> well, Daffy wanted to get in, but he was, you know, held out the back. They were like, Wee! I mean, Donald O'Connor. <laughs> oh, that way. <laughs> <laughs> they did include, I think they had the cook testify. Yeah, the cook came I back. Mean, they did it a little bit differently, but the court the court scene is one of those that they do variations on. And as far as it goes, it was okay. And that, but it was also different how because obviously they were trying to keep her trapped in this magical land. So instead of having the cards fly up at her and she wakes up, I mean, I, for some reason they had the cards chase after, her and then it almost. You think that she's returning to reality by having the leaves drifting down, but then she's still trapped mm-hmm. on the other side of the mirror instead of stepping through the mirror, which I don't blame them for doing it that way, but I don't really like it. I kind of liked the idea of it. I think it could have been done a little bit better, but I liked how she ran into the house and she saw Dinah in the mirror, but then she turned around Dinah's not there. And she realizes that she's not actually in her own room. I thought it was a cool idea. I like the idea of her dreaming and waking up. And it's kind of that way in Through the Looking Glass, too, isn't it? Like the idea of falling asleep in her chair, but then stepping through yeah. to another world. Nice. And, and so you don't have the fear factor of it. Of like, oh, wow, she has to go on this saga of growing up or something in order to <laughs> finally get back to her mother. And there's this, this sad depressive element like no it's supposed to be a dream world a really strange dream world which fits with all of these weird characters well and i think too that from a production side of things i'm sure that it was a case of you know that they were like okay we've got people here for the first night of this we need to get people back for the second half so we need to like <laughs> yeah. leave it on a cliffhanger we need to make sure. sure that people are like ah what's happening well okay this is kind of i don't know it doesn't fit with what we're talking about but I wanted to point out they have a portrait of Queen Victoria on the wall. I saw that. Which I is that very was fitting because this, you know, this is written during the era of Queen Victoria. And it doesn't fully feel Victorian, even no. though they're in kind of period costumes. For some reason, it just doesn't feel very Victorian to me. But that is a good nod mm-hmm. to the era of the book. Anyway. Yeah, it was a kind of an odd... It's like when you when you go into a house and they're like, oh, well, we have this furniture from 
say the 1950s, but then it's like nothing else matches or you can tell it's reproductions as compared to originals. Like it's, it's supposed to replicate it, but it doesn't like there's something off about it. I think what fell off to me was that there were so many Americans in this. It just didn't feel very British. So it was weird that they had Queen Victoria on the wall. Maybe that threw off the feel. Not even the cat's meow was British. I mean, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And now we're getting to the climax of this epic tale. Well, when she ran out of the courtroom and she was running home, I guess I thought that's where it was going to end. Like, I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a weird way to end this. But then it kept going. And she ran in the house. She can't find her parents. She sees them in the mirror. They can't hear her. And then she starts reading the Jabberwocky. I was like, <laughs> what are they doing? This, this is so weird. And then the Jabberwocky shows up. <laughs> the Majestic. Shout out to Tom McLaughlin. <laughs> Whoever you are, I wanted to, to mention Tom McLaughlin because he plays the Jabberwocky. I never, I didn't bother to Google him. Maybe he has the face on the internet. I don't know. Uh, let's see. <laughs> You're going to find out, aren't you? I'm just going to look it up quick because he had me interested. Oh, where is it? I can, spell, I can spell it out for you. No, I just was looking through because there was some, some trivia on it. I was going to pull from that, but we'll go back here and uh, there he is. He looks like a rocker from the 80s. On let's Wikipedia, see. it says he's an American screenwriter, film and television director, and former mime. <laughs> Who is most notable for directing Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason (laughs) Lives, and One Dark Night. Oh, wow. So he liked being potentially scary in his little puffy costume. I would say so. He was also uh, the writer of She-Wolf of London. Uh, Don't know one way or the other. They came from outer space. Yeah, One Dark Night. So he wasn't really an actor. Which I guess is fine because he's inside a big rubber costume. In this particular... He has 20 (laughs) acting credits. Was he in a big rubber costume for all of them? (laughs) Oh, 100%. He was in Critters 2. Oh, boy. This Um, is a specific type of person here. Yeah. And I didn't know it. They didn't just get some... Like, his heart was probably in this role. (laughs) I would actually agree with you on that because it looks like he plays quite a few, like, creature-type roles i'm glad i brought this up because this is actually interesting (laughs) like this um, guy this guy has personality (laughs) oh he was a former mime so like like, he played a character called uh igor he played irma the robot maid i had Um, no idea i was bringing up somebody (laughs) this interesting uh he played alfred the janitor in a movie called rocksteady row which maybe that pulls from the kind of rock and roll look because he does truly look like a rock and roll guy like he's got the long hair and kind of the leather jacket and stuff i figured i was just bringing up some random guy who got stuck in a costume i think is kind of where my mind was going like no this is his life Yeah, this is somebody with a lot of personality. Like, I'm wondering what he would be like at a picnic. I mean... Well, here's here's the background for it. So the Jabberwocky costume was designed by uh, production designer Philip Jeffries in the early production process. A description from Lewis Carroll provided the costume design. Uh, it was fabricated really? by Adam. <laughs> uh, they didn't. They didn't check that description very well, man. <laughs> uh, body of a dragon, whiskers, fish-like head, insect antennae, and a or antennae, and a pair of talon-like hands. 
both on both hands and wings, as well as four legs when it walked on the ground. Which never really did that. It was always upright. Um, but it was fabricated okay. by Adam Hill and Tom McLaughlin. I want to bring up something. I have another tangent. Sure. You remember the Jabberwocky from that? I don't remember which one. Was it 60s? With the little boy where they were acting it out. And it was like the The horrifying Muppet thing. Where it like screamed kind yes, of like a yes. Muppet. It sounded like Miss Peggy being killed. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> So this is comparatively probably a good Jabberwocky, but it's also just funny because it reminds me of those like inflatable dinosaur. Costumes. That's what I said. Oh, I was like, this is like this is what inspired those inflatable dinosaur costumes. Little do you realize? Little, do you realize, little do you realize this was Tom. This is where Tom McLaughlin is really making his money. He's like, we could make an inflatable of this and sell it to. Be- uh, yeah, I'm- I'm making that up, but nice. if that turns out to be true, then... <laughs> that would be really cool. Um, okay, so he helped fabricate the costume. Um, they couldn't find an actor or a stuntman to fit the height matching his height, so they decided that that Tom would be the Jabberwocky, and he performed the role from that point on. Okay, and so you have the Jabberwocky, apparently played by this very colorful individual, and then, okay... She's probably, isn't she like screaming in the living room and everything? And uh-huh. then twinkling music and credits <laughs> like, Death, Death Monster! That's nutshell, I don't know what is. That's messed up. And so my last note for the Alice episode was, Okay. <laughs> dot 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 dot. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Proper response. Proper response. Like, you can at least have slightly serious sounding credit music. Like, <laughs> like come back next week, kids. Whoa, to see Alice. if Alice gets eaten in the first five minutes, and then that's all that the episode I is. I mean, if they did a Muppet version, she probably would. She'd, she'd just be biffing around in soft, plush tummy of the Jabberwocky. <laughs> they they really need to do a full length Alice in Wonderland with Muppets. I mean, they did that one episode of the Muppet Show, but they need to like actually it do it. It actually fits with the Muppets. Yeah, come on, that would be cool. And have Miss Piggy voice the Jabberwocky. I mean, why not? We've heard it before. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Version Ever. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to the Every Version Ever YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Come along and pass through the looking glass into Wonderland.